Hello and welcome to episode five of the Skycast, presented by Lockdown Women's Basketball and High Post Hoops. I'm your host, Nick Niendorf, here to talk to you about all things Chicago Sky. Now, apologies on the delay on this podcast episode. I recently moved up to Madison, Wisconsin, and actually still do not have internet in my home. So luckily I was able to grab some Wi-Fi from the local hospital next door, but Safe to say that I haven't been watching the Sky's game in the highest of streaming quality, but I have been watching the games, and I'm, I'm excited to talk about the season so far with you today. And for this episode, I really want to take a step back and discuss the Sky and how they exist in the context of the WNBA and within sports, because, because I think the Sky are just a perfect example of a team that is at times caught in the middle between expectations and performance. But before that, I want to do a quick rundown of some of the recent games, especially that losing streak that the Sky just snapped. And for the record, I'm recording this episode before the Sky's game against the Minnesota Lynx at 9 p.m. on Wednesday. So we talked the last episode about the Sky's loss to the Washington Mystics and what that kind of meant for their season and, and what it could mean for their season. And for me, it kind of felt like a reality check for the Sky, who had played so well in that four-game winning streak, had obviously lost a game to Indiana, but then bounced back with a great win against Connecticut. But I put so much emphasis on that loss to Washington, obviously aside from the implications of Elena Deladon and her continued streak against the Sky, but I put a lot of emphasis on that game because I think it's easy to fall in this sort of complacency as spectators of the sport, especially in the WNBA, that when a team is performing well, we assume that's going to continue. But as we say time and time again, but it is always worth repeating with the WNBA, the season is so short and the teams are just so talented that if you get yourself into a small rut, it's really hard to crawl out of. And that's what I was worried with that loss against Washington because of the way the sky performed in that loss. And I was worried that, you know, going on that three game road trip on the West coast, that could be a rough road for the sky. And it turns out it was, um, the sky obviously dropped four in a row, including that loss to Washington. And again, it was really the sky at their worst. The game in then Seattle wasn't terrible. It was a close game, but the other two games against Las Vegas and LA were really just the sky playing down to their worst performances of the season. And I think for the sky, again, the continued narrative is going to be how they play on the road. And that's going to continue the rest of the season as it should, because they haven't proven themselves consistently capable of grabbing wins while on the road, which you just have to do if you're going to grab a playoff spot. Now they've shown that they are capable of doing it, at times, but whether they can do that consistently remains to be seen. And I think with the game against the Sparks, it was frustrating because the sky did start to crawl back. They cut the game within 15 late in the game, but just weren't able to string together consistent stops once they got to that point and just kind of hung around that number for a while. And I think that that's something that has been a, a, a repeated problem for the sky as good as they have looked at times on defense I find that there's certain combinations of players or just certain stretches in the game where they just can't get stops. They'll turn it over a couple of times and they let teams come back in. We've talked about this a million times before, but that's one of the biggest reasons that the sky perpetually let teams hang around. It's turnovers and then not being consistent on defense. And then you talk about the game against the aces. And I think Stephanie Dolson getting in foul trouble really killed them. It really proved a lot of her worth to the team because they rely on her so much. They really just don't have the front court depth 
at least in terms of talent, to lose her. Obviously, Jantel Lavender has been awesome. Cheyenne Parker has been great. But really, Jantel and Stephanie are the only two players in that front court who can really give you a consistent production night in, night out. We've talked a lot about how Cheyenne Parker has been great at times, but has been inconsistent when she doesn't get herself going early. It can be tough for her to contribute later in the game. She has done it. She has found a spark later in a few wins, but that's something she's still figuring out. And Clea Copper, who I really want to talk about later because she was just brilliant in the Sky's win. She's somebody who will give you really consistent and good performances on defense night in, night out, but offensively is still trying to find her way. And then Gabby Williams as well, obviously filling in a lot of her minutes at the point guard slot, but she has struggled to be consistently productive on offense at the four spot. And so I just think between that mix of players, Jantel and Stephanie are obviously the marquee players. I mean, there's a reason they start. There's a reason James Wade relies on them so heavily, especially when they're playing well, because he has to, and because they have proven themselves this season as consistent performers. They've been two players on this team who you can expect a pretty solid performance most nights. Both of them have their limitations, and both of them do have ways that they can impact the sky negatively, depending on the night, but I think overall you would be hard-pressed to say that those two aren't two of the biggest keys to this Sky team winning. I mean, both of them performed so well in that Aces game. Even Stephanie, who was in foul trouble, was really positive as a contributor. But then you look at the Aces bigs, and and they just feasted on the Sky. And and that frontcourt issue, I think, is just going to be something that the Sky are going to have to deal with this season. That's something that they'll have to address in the offseason or having somebody just step up on a consistent basis because they have their two starters. They know who their two starters are and who their two starters will continue to be, but it's once you get to that bench unit that things become a little less consistent. And I think part of what has contributed to some of that inconsistency on offense is obviously you have the fact that off the bench, the Sky don't necessarily know on any given night who's going to be the person that steps up and who's going to be the person that, you know, can lead the bench unit when starters sit. Many times there is a very clear spark off the bench, but it's just not consistent. And I think with the starters this year, you talk about Courtney Vandersloot and Diamond Shields really haven't been having their most efficient year shooting the ball. With Vandersloot, it's one of those things where it's almost unfair to Diamond because I feel like it's easier to give Vandersloot a pass on her shooting just because you so obviously see her contributions elsewhere because she's flinging the ball around all over the court. She is the focal point of the offense in terms of distribution. It's it's very obvious what her contribution is to the team, even when she's having an off shooting night. But with Diamond, her main role is a scorer, and this year she just has not been efficient. And I think one of the big reasons she hasn't been efficient is she really hasn't been getting to the rim a ton for how good of a slasher she is, for how athletic she is, how easily she can blow by most defenders in this league. But this year, she's really settled for contested jumpers, jumpers off the dribble. And as of now, per synergy, for every three shots at the rim she's taking, she's taking 10 jump shots. And her shooting just hasn't been consistent enough yet 
to be able to do that. I do think, as I've said before, I think it will come with time. And you can very obviously see when she's hitting her shots, how dangerous she is because she's taking really hard shots. She's consistently taking very difficult shots. But I think in the context of this season, when you consider, okay, how can Diamond get better, you know, from game to game, I do think trying to get to the rim more and trying to settle a little bit less on some of those jump shots because she's not making it easy for herself on some of these looks. A lot of them are really tough shots off the dribble and quite a few of them are earlier in the shot clock or in the middle of the shot clock where it's not necessarily a bailout shot yet. So I do want to see her prioritizing looks at the rim because her efficiency at the rim hasn't been great yet this season, but the attempts have also been so low that I do have confidence that that would go up as she continued to up her volume. And again, like I said, you look at Diamond and you look at her when she takes people off the dribble and she's just so good. There's a reason she's able to get all those looks on step backs and on pull-ups. It's because she's so fast that defenses are trying to backpedal and keep up with her. And so I'd like to see her make them pay because she's absolutely capable of it. And I love to see her get to the line more and provide more of a consistent way to score on offense because when you do rely on jump shots it's incredibly hard to be a consistent scorer you look at somebody like diana tarasi who's obviously been out all of this season so far but for somebody who shoots so many jump shots and shoots so much from deep she still prioritizes getting the rim getting to the free throw line and obviously it's always unfair to compare you know a young player like diamond to a superstar to arguably the goat of the WNBA. I'm not going to get into that discussion at all on this podcast, but comparing her to Tarasi is obviously completely unfair, but I do see shades of that in terms of her ability to create. And it kind of goes to a point that I mentioned a little bit earlier in this podcast and that I want to talk about the rest of the way. And I think Diamond is a really good representation of how this team finds itself caught in the middle of it because you have this really young player She's only in her second year, but because she's given us these amazing flashes of her ability to create and her ability to score, the expectations have kind of been raised for her. And I think something similar has kind of happened with the Sky this season. They have shown us so many flashes of what this team could be. You know, in spite of all the turnovers, they still win games. They still play really exciting basketball. And at times they look like a lockdown team on defense. Now that's for stretches. That's not for entire games or anything like that. But for stretches, they have looked really good on defense. And because of that, I feel like the sky have changed the conversation around themselves to their credit. They have completely exceeded a lot of my expectations so far this season. I mean, if you would have told me that the sky were 514 games into the season, I would told you that's great because that means that they're still in a position to have a playoff spot, which by the standings they do right now, or at least be in a position to grab a playoff spot. Because if you play 500 ball for, you know, three-fourths of the season, you put yourself in a position to go on a win streak and then get yourself a playoff spot, which obviously for the Sky has been such a huge talking point this season. But again, you go back to expectations before this summer, and I would have told you that as long as the Sky were competitive in games, as long as they were developing their players and were showing signs of improvement under a new head coach, that would have been a win on the season. But here the Sky are really in control of their own destiny as the season moves forward, in control 
of getting themselves a playoff spot and holding on to it. They really do have a lot of control in the season that they just haven't had in seasons past, but it goes back to expectation. And again, I, you know, you tell me that the sky were in this position. I would told you that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. When you consider how bad they've been the last two seasons, especially defensively, but just the overall outlook of the team, things have been pretty dark, but and this is something that I think goes for all basketball, not just the WNBA, and really goes for all sports. But it's always interesting to me that when you have teams that are kind of on the upswing, teams that are rebuilding, and the Sky, despite their wins, I would say they're still rebuilding. They're still looking to add pieces. They're still implementing a new system, developing players. They, they are for all intents and purposes. But when you have these teams that are rebuilding and suddenly they overachieve or at least beat expectations that were laid out before them, the conversation changes and the way we talk about the team changes. And instead of it being a conversation about, oh, hey, the Sky had four really good wins in a row earlier in the season. And yeah, they're dropping games now. But when you consider where they were last season, that's huge for them. That conversation shifts and suddenly the discussion shifts and it goes from, oh, are the Sky actually just pretenders? Are they a team that even belongs in the playoffs? Do they belong to be in these games consistently? And you start analyzing things in a totally different way. And it's, again, it's not something that's necessarily bad. It's something that the sky have, have earned in some sort of weird, twisted way that the world of sports brings to us. They, they've earned it by winning games. They've earned scrutiny. And I think for this team to be scrutinized in this light is a wonderful sign for the franchise because... Terrible teams don't get scrutinized like good teams do. Terrible teams get scrutinized when they're terrible for five or six years. Most of the time, you can be bad for a couple years, and most people will give you a pass because, you know, you're rebuilding. But once you start getting scrutinized for losing games, that means you've, you've won games. You've, you've earned the right to get scrutinized, and the Sky have done that, which I think is really exciting. But again, it goes back to a player like Diamond, who again is so young, so talented, so promising, but now instead of us just kind of appreciating what she's doing in her sophomore season and looking at things that she can improve for the future, it, it changes into a conversation more about, well, how can she help the team more this season? How, how is she hurting the team this season? And the same goes for Gabby Williams and Katie Lou Samuelson. It's not necessarily about their development as much anymore as you know, not to say we don't talk about that. We still do talk about that a lot. And there's absolutely been an ongoing discussion among fans and analysts about Katie Lou Samuelson's playtime and how that might be impacting her development. But the conversation shifts a little bit more. And instead of us focusing on that, we focus on, well, what can this guy do right now to win games? And one of the things that I think contributes a lot to that is, I mean, four of the sky's five best players are proven vets. You talk about Jantel Lavender, Stephanie Dolson, Allie Quigley, and Courtney Vandersloot. None of those players are, are young players in the context of basketball. We don't talk about vets developing in the same way we talk about rookies or second-year players or third-year or even fourth-year players. We talk about them in a much different light. You know, you look at Stephanie Dolson, who had two down years and then has had a really great bounce back this year. We call it a bounce back year rather than her developing her game and, and changing a bit to adapt to a new team. And so I think that that part of this team really kind of drives home this this weird place that the Sky are in and that, yeah, they are a rebuilding team, but four of their five best players are older. They're players who at this point in their career, you you feel like you have a pretty good grasp on who they are as players and what they can be. 
And that's not to say that those players aren't going to continue to grow and develop, but that our conversation about their growth and development is just different. Just like the way our conversation about this team is, is different than it was before the season began or in the first couple games. It just is. Moving forward, it's an interesting thing to continue to think about. Because in theory, if the Sky lost their next six games, I think the conversation would go back to what it was like at the beginning of the season, where you talk more about, well, who are the young players on the roster that you can develop? And what are the holes that the Sky will need to fill in the offseason? That conversation would shift so quickly. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that really in the WNBA, except for the elite teams, most teams kind of have one foot on the edge of the playoffs or in the playoff mix and another foot in the lottery or on the edge of the lottery. At the very least, they can see the lottery. The lottery is within full view. Obviously, the teams at the very top really have no thoughts about the lottery. They they don't expect to get in there. But a team like the Sky, as I said, they lose six games in a row and suddenly you're thinking about the lottery a lot more. They lose three games in a row. You're thinking about the lottery. I, I, I mean, I'll be 100% honest. When they dropped four in a row, I definitely kind of got a little more pessimistic about this team as I was watching them. And thoughts of the lottery absolutely crossed my mind. Obviously, super, super early into the season. And there's no reason to doom any team to waiting on the draft at this point. But there's definitely a part of me that was like, man, you know, Sabrina Unescu would be pretty fun on this team if the sky dropped a couple more games. Or wouldn't Lauren Cox really help out this team's front court depth? Those thoughts naturally just kind of find their place in our brains. And it's because, as I've mentioned, in a 34-game season, you are never too far from the lottery and you're also never too far from the playoffs. And I think that also affects our discussion about WNBA teams and especially the sky this season. So I guess moving forward, the implications of what this conversation could mean is, is simply that it could change. That's really all it is. It's just a conversation that could change, or it's at least one that we should be aware of because it dictates how we approach our evaluation of individual games and player performances. And so I don't think it's a conversation that we should shy away from or a discussion that we should feel bad for having. I just think it's something that with the sky in particular, we can focus more on. I think it makes the sky more of an interesting team to follow because as I continue to write about the sky and I continue to watch their games, now I feel like I'm aware of this discussion going on and how it might shift one way or another given a series of two, three, four games down the stretch of the season. I think it's a really fascinating thing to keep your eye out for and to kind of view, okay, well, am I framing my current thoughts about the sky in the light that they're rebuilding or that they're pushing for the playoffs? And is there a way to merge those two ideas in a single conversation? Because it is really difficult and it's hard to properly take note or appreciate the development of players or some of their individual moments of brilliance when it comes in a loss and a team is trying to make the playoffs. Just like it's hard to properly understand some of these bad losses when it comes on a team that is rebuilding and you're talking about those younger players and their development. It's really hard to merge those two concepts together. 
I want to thank you for listening to my musings here today about the conversation that surrounds the Chicago sky. I want to thank you for listening to episode five of the Skycast right here on Lockdown Women's Basketball and High Post Hoops. My name is Nick Nienorf, and if you liked what you heard here today and want more coverage of the Chicago sky, make sure you're following us at Lockdown WBB and at High Post Hoops. And if you're interested in having any comments or questions answered on the pod, shoot us an email at the Skycast Podcast at gmail.com or send me a message on Twitter.